Do you remember where you were back in 71? Okay, just curious. I was looking back there, and Zach and Ethan wonder, do you guys remember where you were in 71? No? <laughs> yeah, okay. My, when my wife was just a couple of months old, she was being adopted, and um, when you're married to someone for 30 years, she was adopted. You learn a lot about adoption. Um, having friends in the States who have adopted in other countries, you realize the number one thing they tell you is you better be prepared. You better be prepared in a thousand bazillion different ways to enter into the process. You better be emotionally prepared, number one, because there's going to be a mountain of paperwork and legwork and money. Um, some friends of ours who adopted from China had to make three trips because China loves when you stay in their hotels three different times and land in their airports and all that. Um, and we, every adoption story is an amazing story. Um, but we tend to be moved by the ones where people go to greater lengths, right? Like to cross greater social barriers or boundaries, greater cultural boundaries, financial commitment barriers and all that. Um, and I thought I had heard all of the adoption stories that to be told. But yesterday when Kelly and I were driving back from the farm, we were listening to um, a podcast about um, embryo adoption. And um, I don't know if you guys have heard, this is a very big trend now. Um, Maybe you've known couples who were having a difficult time getting pregnant and they went through in vitro fertilization and that involved the creation of, of frozen embryos. And in many instances, and for many, many, many different reasons, um, some of those frozen embryos go unused. And um, right now, it's said that there are one and a half million of those frozen embryos just sitting in clinics and... Um, What's happening is, is people are seeing those embryos as opportunities for adoption, which is pretty amazing to think about. Um, and this podcast was all about the growing movement um, and the motives people have for doing that. Because you can imagine if you were a couple who were thinking about that, you would think, well, why create those myself if someone else has already done that and they're going to use them, I'll just... I'll just go with the ones that are already out there. 75% um, of the people who ad adopt these frozen embryos are Christians. And some of them see themselves as adopting like little frozen souls, if you will. And, um, but here was the interesting thing, and this is where things get kind of wow. Um, there are people who see the opportunity to kind of special order a kid. Like, do you have any whose parents are like tall and blonde? Or like, we would love an embryo whose maybe both of their parents were doctors. Like, we want a smart kid. Maybe if they were both, maybe Division I athletes, we could get a kid who grew up 
could become a professional athlete and support us at a young age, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that kind of makes you cringe just a little bit, does it not? Um, <laughs> special order babies, right? Okay, that begins to question things. Um, we've been looking at it in Galatians, at God's story of setting his people free and how the law can never set us free. And the Galatian church was being torn apart by these, these, these Jewish people who did not think Jesus was enough for righteousness or that Jesus was enough for the church to build their identity around. It was like Jesus, and sure, but really it was Jesus plus circumcisions plus works of the law. And if you put all that together, then you can have righteousness. So the Jews were telling the Gentiles, well, you need to take up the law and you need to get our story and you need to get all of our stuff and our traditions and our histories to get our kind of righteousness. And Paul has spent all these weeks that we've been in Galatians just kind of piling up these metaphors and these illustrations one after another. And you're probably at this point going, is there really another metaphor, Dean, about the law? And I'm here to tell you this morning, oh, yes, there is another one for you this morning. Um, to try to tell us this will never work. Last week, it was the picture of a guardian. The law is like a guardian that can direct and restrain us from the outside, but can never take a Jew, a Gentile, a slave, a free, a man, or a woman, and make them new from the inside out and make them one in Christ Jesus, or make them Abraham's true offspring. This morning, in Galatians 4, we find a passage about adoption, and how the law can't do that. And for many Bible teachers, adoption, um, adoption is at the heart of the salvation story. Being brought into the family of God for many Bible teachers is the beautiful part, like, like coming to know God as Father is at the heart and soul of what it means to be free in Christ. And Paul says the law can't do that. And Paul is going to show us this morning that our adoption, like you want to talk about crossing greater boundaries, and you want to talk about costly. What did God do to bring us into his family? And what were his motives? Right? We made it to chapter 4, and that's where we're going to start in chapters 1. Excuse me, verses 1 through 7. I read this at the beginning of the service from the New Living. It starts with a, another slave and child illustration. I mean, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no longer different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So the picture here is you've got an heir who has been left everything. So this, is, this kid has been left this inheritance. So the, the child is completely a member of the family, but that does not mean the child can just do whatever he wants, go out and buy whatever he wants. So he's saying, 
the child is in a very real sense not much different than one of the slaves in the family because they're both under the direction of others. Even though one is heir to a fortune, there's no possession of the inheritance. The kid has no right to make decisions. The kid is not free to just go out and do whatever they want. And Paul is using this illustration, this, this analogy to illustrate the condition of those who are living under the law. He says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What in the world have you introduced now, Paul? Why does he have to say difficult things? Remember we talked last week, Peter says in his writings, Paul wrote difficult things. So if Peter thought Paul was difficult, you're perfectly fine to read Paul and go, what in the world are you saying? Because if Peter thought he was hard to read, it's perfectly fine for us to find Paul difficult. What are these elementary principles? I've got some scriptures. Can you throw some of those up there for me, Karen? Um, three times he uses this, Colossians 2. Let's, let's try to piece this together. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The elemental spirits are the elemental principles of the world, not according to Christ. If you could flip it to the next one for me, please. Okay, this is a doozy. If with Christ you died to, and here's the phrase, the elemental principles of the world. Same phrase used here. Why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to the human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and, and severity to the body. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what is he, what is he saying here? If you reduce, could reduce this down. The world, if you remember way back in 1 John, like the world has these certain temptations for us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You remember kind of this money and power. If next, not next week, in the beginning of January in verse 8, just the very, very next verse, you can look in Galatians 4. When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. These gods that aren't gods. So our tendency is to worship what we make with our hands, to worship created things instead of the creator, and that you can't avoid this. This is the water the world swims in. There are these powers that work around us beyond our control. And when we attempt to beat this with law, this is what we get. When you try to defeat the world with law, the most you can do is, hey, don't touch that. Hey, 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 don't handle that. Don't taste that. Don't eat that. Hey, don't, 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 don't. Stop. Nope, 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 nope. 
That's all you've got. So you've got these elemental principles in the world, and when you're battling with them with the law, what does he say at the end? They seem to be wise. You can be severe against your body. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to touch this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. He says, but when all is said and done, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's what the next half of Galatians is going to be about. That You have desires on the inside of you that require internal transformation that things outside of you cannot touch. You're out here with the law and those outside external rules are not touching the internal desires. So he's saying that this kid is like a slave. He's not able to come into his inheritance and he's just living like that, that one we saw last week who's like under a guardian. Can't go here, can't go there. And when all's said and done... He's just really up against the world with gods that are no gods at all. In a religious system that has no Jesus, that's what holiness is. Holiness is don't do this, don't touch that, don't do that. None of this has any power against the power that's inside of us. But, verse 4, back in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, this is, my, this is my outline for our Christmas series. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time came, like right at just the right time, we'll talk about that more next week, God sent his son, Interesting terminology, isn't it? You can't send someone that didn't already exist. Does it say God created a son on earth? God sent his son. How did he send his son? He had her be born of a woman and born of under the law. But this idea of the fullness of time coming, he's borrowing You see what he's doing? He's borrowing the picture he just created of the child growing up to receive the inheritance, right? So he's kind of saying, okay, you want to talk about growing up into something? God, moving all of history to the perfect time, sends his son into the world through Mary. He's raised, he lives under the law, fulfills it perfectly in order to redeem those who are under the law. In other words, only someone who lived under the law would be capable of coming and redeeming people out from under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The redeem means to purchase out of and to purchase for. If, if you go back and look at the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20, before he even gives those commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who redeemed you out of Egypt, and he's pointing to how the blood of the Passover lamb was his purchasing of them before he even gave the law. And because you are sons, oh boy, here we go, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, 
Father. Redeemed from under the law, adopted as sons, spirit into your hearts. So you see the difference here. Now there's, there's someone inside you that has power against the indulgence of the flesh, this internal power. Born again, made due by the Spirit of Christ, lives in you. Remember Galatians 2.20, crucified with Christ, no longer live, Christ lives in you. So God not only sent his Son, he sent, did you catch this, verse 6? He calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of his Son, so that we can cry, Abba, Father. A little Aramaic word for Father that's still spoken to this day. But could you click to the next one? Mark 4. Do you remember Jesus using this word? You remember where this is? This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the most difficult moment of Jesus' earthly life, right? He's headed towards the cross. He's there praying. His disciples are asleep. They're on their way to arrest him. The cross is in sight. The beatings are in sight. They're on their way. Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup from me. Not what I want, though, but what you will. You see what he's crying out? Abba, Abba, Father. Father, Father. Give the next one for me, Karen. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit that allows us and empowers us and enables us and gives us the right to say, Abba, Father, is the spirit of Adoption. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So there's this internal thing going on that says, you're a child of God, just like you just sang. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's the Spirit in you going, yes, you are. And if we're children, guess what? We're heirs. We get the inheritance. You're grown up into the inheritance. We're fellow heirs with Christ when we suffer with him. So we're right there with him. But do you notice the word that is used in Mark and when Jesus is there saying Abba and in Romans 8 when we're, we're, look what it is. It's the word cry. It's cry. When, when, when do we cry out? It's in a time of pain, a time of need, a time of disappointment. We've been set free from slavery. We've been set free from fear. We have not been set free from need. We've not been set free from pain. But the Holy Spirit intercedes. Listen, the Holy Spirit intercedes in you with the same cry that Jesus cried when he was here on this earth. Father knows his children's cry. God's children have a distinctive cry. You moms in here, there could be a hundred crying kids in this room right now. But if your kid was crying, you'd go, oh, that's mine. 
right? You could pick your kid's cry out in a hundred crying kids, couldn't you? Your kid has a distinctive cry. As a matter of fact, if, if you had three kids, you could pick your kids out from each other by the way they cried. When my kids were little, we were in a, in a converted grocery store, and the, the, the kids' ministry ran down one side of the sanctuary, so they were like on the other side of a wall. One of my children I will not name. Whew. Took a long time to adjust and was very, very loud. And you'd be in there and you'd just faintly hear something and she would just kind of look over at me and go, I know who that is. Very distinct, very distinct. God knows the cry of his children because it's the cry of his spirit. And we address him, Abba Father. I know, I know that it's, people want to say, call this daddy. It's not, it's not that, but at the same time, I, I love telling this story, and you've heard me tell it before, but I still remember sitting on that little wall bench in the center of the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem, munching on the best chocolate croissant I've ever had in my life. It was my second one. I finished the first one and said, that's so good. And I went back to the bakery and I got another one. And I was just sitting there munching on it. And these little kids are playing. They're out for lunch break. And this man comes walking out with a business suit and he's on lunch break. And this little girl, I just hear her yelling, Abba, 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 Abba. And she's running as fast as she can across. And the man scoops her up in his arms. She's just saying, Abba, Abba. And I'm just, oh, I just broke out in tears. I'm like, that's it. That's the, that's the word. God is creating one new family out of a million families all over this world from every tribe and language and people. And God is adopting and setting people free by faith in his son from Kenya to Mali to Albania to Georgia from Texas to Tennessee. And they all have the same cry by the same spirit. Okay, let me just wrap this up by running through these last few points and bring it all together. Let's think about this adoption. What makes this adoption so amazing? The price he paid. Imagine going to China to adopt a, a child, and after going through mountains of paperwork and all these, all these trips to China, and what if holding that baby in your hands... They said, the child is yours. All we now need is your firstborn. Or just a kid of your choosing. Just one of those three, whichever one you'd like to give. Right. What if that's what was required to adopt? God gave his son. He sent his son. And think of the motive. Just pure love. Like, we didn't complete anything in God. God wasn't up in heaven going, I'm just missing something. If only I were a parent, I would be complete. If only I had some kids. You know, if the guys were just the right height, right, and the girls were just so, right? Oh, he got, he loved, he loved, and he adopted. 
And then he goes to this incredible length, born of a woman, born under the law. But then there's this, this idea of redemption. that, and, and you have to get both halves of a redemption. We are not just redeemed out, we are redeemed in. We're not delivered just from bondage, we are delivered to sonship, right? We're not just delivered from slavery, we're delivered to a family. You see that? Because we tend to think, yes, I've been delivered from slavery, as if God just sets you free and goes, run, kid, go off and do whatever you want. It's like, no, you're brought into a family. This was the point that God kept trying to make to Israelites. He says this in Deuteronomy. I brought you out in order to bring you in. And they were just like, yay, we got out. And boy, did they have a hard time getting in. (laughs) They're just like, wow, that should have been a quicker trip than that. I brought you out to get you in. God redeemed us out and redeemed us in. And then he doesn't do that. He brings the spirit in and we cry out, Abba which is incredible because in an earthly adoption, you get all the rights of a family. You're, my wife is, is, well, she's an only child, so she's not just as much a kid as the rest of the kids. But if there had been siblings, she would have been just as much a sibling as the rest of the siblings. She got the last name. But when God adopts you, he changes like your spiritual DNA. Like your nature is changed by the Spirit. This is an adoption like no other adoption. This is redemption adoption. So when we sing, I am who you say that I am, this is who he says you are. And like David says, whatever anybody else says you are, whatever. This is who he says you are. Even who you say you are. Um, I don't even tell myself good things sometimes. Anybody else tell themselves bad things sometimes? The things I say about myself, like if you said about me the things I said about myself, I would get mad at you. But I tell myself, like if you called me stupid, I wouldn't like it, but I call me stupid all the time. It's like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. So let let me take a moment to pray for us before we leave. God, thank you for my dear brothers and sisters right now in this room. Thank you so much for the love and the links you went to purchase us. God, I don't know what messages are rattling around in each of our heads this morning. Um, It might have been that Some of us were raised in homes where we were told all sorts of untruth about who we are. Or we just, we just grew up believing all the wrong things about ourselves and we've just never quite fully believed the truth about who we are. But who we truly are in Christ is is who you say we are. And you say that we are purchased out of slavery and we're no longer slaves to the law, we're no longer slaves to fear, that we're adopted, fully adopted children. And I pray, God, that your spirit in us would testify of that truth. 
God, would, would you do that for my brothers and sisters, Lord? Because the voice of this world, the voice, the voice in our own heart um, wants to deceive us otherwise. I know my own heart does. And I'm, I'm sure that's true in this room, God. We, we tell ourselves all kinds of lies. And this world tells us all kinds of lies. And Lord, you never lie to us. And you just told us the truth from Galatians 4 about who we are. Lord, help us to believe. Help us this day, this week to believe. And God, there's going to be moments of need this week. And there's going to be moments of pain this week. And I pray, God, that you would help us to direct our cries to you. And may your spirit... Help us to cry, Abba, Father, because I know that you love to hear the voice of your children, the distinctive voice of your children. We are who you say we are. And may May our minds reflect that. May our hearts reflect that. May our lives reflect that. May we no longer be slaves to fear. May we no longer be slaves to the law. May we live in this love and in this grace and trust you in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. You've been listening to Sunday Morning at Creekside Church in Spring, Texas. We're glad you joined us. For more information, please check out our website at www.mycreeksidechurch.org.